Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode of Stuff They Don't Want You To Know is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select game Gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Welcome to the show. So years ago... We embarked on a strange conversation that continues today. Everybody's aware that serial killers uh, get a lot of attention in the media, uh, despite the fact that they are a minuscule portion of people committing homicide. Uh, it's distressing to know that despite the hundreds of millions being spent to try to apprehend these monsters, a lot of them get away. It reminds me of the current stories. Uh, that's happening right now at the University of Idaho with those four students who were found stabbed in their home and no suspects yet. Nobody knows. Is this a serial killer? Well, there are a lot of them out there historically that either never got caught or we don't even know their true identities. Let's dive into serial killers on the loose. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noah. They call me Ben. You are you. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. But no ordinary episode of stuff they don't want you to know. I mean, arguably, I mean, had an ordinary episode of yeah. stuff they don't want you to know. I haven't seen it. I haven't heard it. <laughs> uh, so uh, this will be another extraordinary episode. It's different in that we are returning to a topic we examined in the past at length the dark, murky world of crime, specifically homicide, specifically the rarest 
and perhaps most well-known form of homicide. I, w- I really want to insert that sound effect from um, Law and Order. Ding, ding. Mm-hmm. And just imagine the phrase dick wolf yep. uh, uh, blossoming in your head. Uh, but not <laughs> just dick wolves blossoming everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it could be a person in real life, but we don't want to mess with your imagination nor impose limits on your creativity. So whatever you think when you hear the phrase dick wolves blossoming in your head. Just run wild. You can write to us about it. We might not be able to read it on air. We've examined serial killers in the past. Boy, have we. And we are picking up where we left off in our previous episode on serial killers, uncaught and otherwise. In this episode, to start off, we're going to do a little bit of review, I guess you can Mm -hmm. call it, from the last episode. Uh, What did we talk about in that one? Matt. Well, in truth, we've this is like episode four or five in a way, just because we've covered specific serial killers and then other serial killers that disappeared or were never apprehended. Uh, so we had the original Night Stalker that mm-hmm. we went over in some serious depth, which was terrifying. I had nightmares for a while that the guy was out there listening to us and then was going to come and find us. Also unapprehended. Agreed. Yes. Uh, the Highway of Tears. Another situation where that was one with the truck drivers and the Native Americans, right? right. Yes, yeah, up in, in Canada. Canada, and uh, more serial killer or killers that have not been apprehended there. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, for Highway of Tears, we partnered with How Stuff Works auto expert Scott Benjamin, mm-hmm. who is quite the true crime aficionado. And as Noel mentioned in our first episode on. Various uncaught serial killers, killers who were on the loose and could be alive today, mm-hmm. may even be alive as we're recording this episode. Uh, we uh, we had Christian Sager from Stuff to Blow Your Mind come on to the show, friend of the show. And we looked at several different killers, uh, the New Bedford Highway Killer, the Lisbon Ripper, Pedro Lopez, who was... I don't know if you can assign a value, but in terms of numbers of people killed, he's by far the highest. And the victims that he chose? All children. Yeah. What does it take to earn the nickname The Ripper? I just, you know, can you casually do that? Can I be Noel The Ripper? I guess if you, you know, if we're back in LimeWire days. If I rip sick beats, does that count? That could count. That could count. Usually in the case of murder, uh, it's assigned by journalists who are trying to sell papers. People kind of coin it. It's sort of a rush to like be the one to give the clever name to the at-large murderer. And that's why there are a lot of the insert geographical location here, stranglers, Mm -hmm. a lot of the insert so-and-so rippers. You ever wonder about the ones that don't stick? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Mm. some sad sack journalist yeah. that just kind of was really trying his best, but then, so, you know, the other one took off and he was just left mm-hmm. in the dirt. Yeah, yeah, I think about that, too, because I could see the pitch meetings where they're trying to divide the line between is this a, a workable name for a serial killer or does this sound like a DC supervillain? Yeah. Well, you see that in movies a lot, too, where they're in the newsroom and the the grizzled old, you know, mm-hmm. editor is like, no, we need something that bleeds. If it bleeds, it leads. Come on, something that'll capture their imaginations. How about Ben the Ripper? That mm-hmm. sounds good. It's like, oh, what, what about the bone collector? Yes, and they're like, that would work. That's a great. I like the way you're thinking, Darren, but we got to have a bone on the scene. The Derbyshire <laughs> oh, wow. disemboweler. <laughs> right. It's such a weird thing to think about that those are... 
a little exaggerated about what would happen, but very, but yeah, man, but <laughs> pretty, pretty similar to things that are actually happening while sure. on the streets there are people being murdered. Well, you know, and families well, there's like, a certain callousness to this kind of reporting. You can't deny. Yeah, it's I mean, just strange. Well, there's a callousness I would argue to reporting in general, especially in the West, because uh, remember how post Nixon? Well, none of us are old enough to remember right after post Nixon. But all of us listening now are de facto post-Nixon. As soon as the Watergate scandal happened, then people began just saying, you know how we make something really sell? Attach the word gate to it. Yep. Right? It's been happening ever since. It's been happening ever since. We're apparently in the midst of stupid Watergate right now. <laughs> stupid Watergate? That, 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 well, that's, that's what uh, John Oliver is calling oh, it. Okay. Which, uh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Have you guys heard about the Oliver effect? This is such a sidebar. Apparently last week tonight, which I think is a great show, uh, has a noticeable and statistically significant effect on legislation. They call it the Oliver effect. That's impressive. And not just in the U.S., even in New Zealand. Man. Like, wait, was that the one with the M&M? Yeah, where they ripped off it. They did a, uh, a copyright-free impre- impersonation of Lose Yourself, the, the <laughs> instrumental track. Mm-hmm. And then they had a bunch of... Um, is is it offensive to say Kiwi or is that just like saying Brit? Well, if, if if it is, then that's a shame because that's also a really good key for how they pronounce words. Yes. Everything is kind of like Kiwi. Mm-hmm. E. 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 Beats. E. Beats. Serial killers. Sorry for the digression, guys. Yeah, yeah. So we, speaking of ripping yeah. things off, how about the Lisbon Ripper? Right. Yes. The Lisbon Ripper uh, was one of the, unfortunately, many people who got the Ripper added to their name. Uh, and then there was also the Craigslist Ripper, or the Long Island serial killer. What's troubling about this is as we covered these, none of those crimes or MOs have been tied to a person. Those people remain apprehended. And that got us thinking, what else is out there? Because we said in the first episode, we only scratched the surface, Right. So today we are returning to the grim, morbid minds of serial murderers. And I mean, just a slight disclaimer, this stuff is disturbing, unsettling, upsetting stuff. And if we get a little light with it occasionally, I I swear to you, it's literally just to keep us from going insane. But uh, if we do have younger listeners out there, maybe Mm -hmm. parents who are listening with younger ones, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying don't listen to it. I'm just saying use caution. Be aware. Yes. Uh, So first things first, we want to define what makes a serial killer. This is a troublingly controversial definition. The FBI's definition of what exactly makes a murderer a serial killer has fluctuated over the past decades. We know the term serial killer was coined in the mid-1970s by a guy named Robert Ressler, uh, not spelled in like a fun wrestling way, R-E-S-S-L-E-R. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if people would take it seriously if he was Mr. Wrestler. Yeah. It's like Mr. Jackpots. Be a good serial killer name, though. It would be. Robbie the Wrestler. Robbie the Wrestler. The former, he was the former director of FBI's violent criminal apprehension program. And he chose the word serial because people in the UK in law enforcement called these types of murders crimes in a series and because he grew up watching serialized films. Before this, these criminals were sometimes known as mass murderers or the act was called stranger-on-stranger crime, which doesn't really cover Mm -hmm. it because a mass murder uh, could be anything from 
an explosive device yeah. or a warlord or a warlord. That's a great point. Or a spree killer who mm-hmm. is just like, I'm mad about something. So I'm going to take it out on everyone in this McDonald's. And I guess wow. contained within that serial killer moniker is a lot of psychology as well in terms of how they choose their victims, what their MO is, how they go about planning these crimes. So there's much more premeditation involved in being a serial killer than, say, in being a mass murderer or a spree killer or any other kind of random or accidental killing. Right, like so many people who kill someone in the course of trying to commit another crime successfully, a bank robbery, a burglary, sure. a um, I don't postage stamp fraud. That's the one I keep going back to. I still can't believe that's a crime. Uh, but we do have these uh, hard and fast definitions or qualities of serial killers that uh, that we want everybody to be clear on. Yeah, it comes from the 1992 Crime Classification Manual. Uh, and it says that a serial killer is someone who, A, commits at least three murders, B, in at least three different locations, C, encounters some kind of cooling off period, uh, in between murder. So stops murdering for a while and then picks it back up. And we already know that definition is imperfect because there are serial killers. Like, how do we define that location? Sure. Right? We are there are serial killers who routinely killed people within their homes. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey Dahmer, John Wayne Gacy. Uh, I can not remember his name, but that monster who invented a torture truck. Also, by the way, if you check out, <laughs> if you check out the FBI's classification of serial killers on the interstate you will rethink rest stops in this country yep we also know there's a difference in the way that the media portrays serial killers versus the way these people act sure so you know we've seen like i hesitate to use the word favorite but what are some of the most memorable serial killers in fiction animal Lecter, right that's one yes that's I, almost I was gonna, the main one. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is a good one. Mm-hmm. That one's yeah. pretty, like a so, very solitary depiction of sort of like this lone wolf serial killer um, mm-hmm. situation. That's a good one. American Psycho. American Psycho is great, yeah. And, of course, Psycho. Oh, yes, and also Psycho. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we know that in real life, serial killers typically work alone. It's very, very rare for them to cooperate uh, in they typically kill strangers who fit the M.O. of whatever it is they're into, and they kill for the sake of killing as opposed to, you know, crime of passion. Uh, according to a recent FBI study, there have been approximately 400 serial killers in the U.S. in the past century, and they've killed anywhere from 2,500 to almost 4,000 victims. And back to the whole aspect of media involved in this, we've got a depiction that is created by the media versus reality. So first off, you know, just forget the tired old romanticized Dexter or Hannibal Lecter tropes. There's no way to really tell from outward appearances whether someone is or is not a serial killer. But we can use psychology to profile people a bit. From what we know, more than 80% of serial killers are male, Caucasian, and in their 20s or 30s. And many criminologists believe serial killers also experience three very specific behaviors in childhood known as the McDonald triad. Matt, what's that about? Yes, Noel, the McDonald triad are three things, bedwetting, arson, and cruelty to animals. So 
it's strange to me that these are the three things because you you imagine cruelty to animals is kind of a ramp up to cruelty to humans. Sure. Arson shows that they, you don't really care about the consequences of an action like that. Or possibly you don't care. Perhaps. And then bedwetting, that feels like an outlier to me. So it's more the degree to which uh, or the age at which someone stops involuntarily wetting the bed. So it's not – Bedwetting in general, that's a very common thing to people when they're learning to use restrooms in the way that our society says is correct. Yeah, it's a bell curve of not wetting the bed, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> starting out early and. But, you know, if, you know, some people will uh, involuntarily uh, urinate, if we're just going to be dry and medical about it, uh, well into their teens. And mm. this, under the McDonald triad, invented by McDonald, of course, is. To him, one of the primary clues to the problem, we should say that like many other things, this is controversial because it's always tough to measure people who don't want to be measured or found, which even goes back to the earlier statistics. You know, we said 80 percent of serial killers are male. What that probably means is 80 percent of apprehended serial killers. That's definitely what it means. And so we do know that there are a few other observable commonalities. Serial killers are likely to have come from broken, damaged home situations, to have been abused, uh, whether that is through physical or sexual activity or through neglect, like chaining someone up in an empty room. Uh, and we also know that you can't really – you probably have met somebody at your school or at your job where people joke about that person being a serial killer. We have a few here, which I won't name. But the truth of the matter is there's not a single – observable like outward personality fingerprint for the uh for the proof positive of a serial killer uh some might be shy and introverted others might be super gregarious like ted bundy and outgoing uh but the crazy thing is you know i think we've talked about this on the show before ted bundy represented himself in court and he almost won he was uh he was we had said this earlier before uh, Matt, I think you phrased them as people who would charm the pants off of you or your, your head. But we also know that they're not created equally, that there may be a tendency toward higher than average intelligence, but there will also be people who have lower than average IQ scores. And the IQ, of course, I can hear people typing the emails now. No, the IQ test is not a great measure of intelligence. We have different processes, different motivations, uh, but we do know uh, that there is another type of classification system that groups people by their acts. And uh, Noel, do you want to break this down? You know I do, Ben. Ronald M. and Stephen T. Holmes attempted to break down these differences with a classification system called the Holmes typology. So the Holmes typology groups killers accordingly. Uh, serial killers can be act-focused, um, those who kill quickly, or they can be process-focused, those who kill slowly. Um, for act-focused killers, simply killing, the act of killing itself is what does the job. That's the whole point. The whole mm -hmm. point. Um, and within this group, you've got two types, the visionary and the missionary. Missionary is not as fun as it sounds. Oh, well, let's get sense. to it. Let's get to it. Uh, the visionary murders uh, because they hear voices or have visions that direct them to do so. Um, so the, this is, you know, a typical 
scenario where, you know, the devil made me do it or, mm-hmm. you know, you have a voice in your head that's whispering to you to do horrible acts. Or often, my mother. Yeah. Yeah. Often demonic, divine or a departed uh, influential relationship. Right. Like in Psycho, for example. Mm-hmm. And that's a spoiler. But I think Psycho is Real about – 70 years old yeah, or we're so, good. so I think we're okay. I actually had an argument with my girlfriend the other day. She said it's never cool to spoil anything. And I'm like, we've been over this. I've got, it's okay. The community says five years is the statute of limitations. She's like, I don't care. I just think you want to spoil things because it makes you sound like you're a know-it-all. That sounds like you guys were ultimately arguing about something else. Probably. But then there's the missionary murderers. And as you said, Ben, not as fun as it sounds at all. The missionary murders because um, he or she believes that they are meant to get rid of a particular group of people. Eek. I will murder every blockbuster manager. Yeah, oh, that's well, pretty much been been accomplished already. Or or there are people who would say, for instance, um, due to wrongs or due to my divine understanding, this uh, specific type of person, this could be race or ethnicity motivated. Uh, they think they must be cleansed of the earth. Even uh, as we're going to see later on, things that have to do with monthly cycles. Hair color. Yeah. There's any kind of things that would fit into this. And it could even fall into the category of like a vigilante that's like killing, you know, doctors at abortion clinics or something like that. Or yeah. anybody that the scene congregating at abortion clinics. Mm-hmm. So to kind of pick out and like say that I'm doing the Lord's work, for mm-hmm. example, or to have some sort of like crusade mentality. Yeah, exactly. And then process-focused serial killers are a little bit different. These are the ones you typically see in, like, the grisly, gruesome film depictions where someone's doing some ritualistic, gnarly stuff. Yeah, exactly. So this would be, you know, for them, the risk of sounding glib, it's about the journey. They don't, the, the, they don't necessarily get off on the death unless it occurs under a very specific process or workflow. This would be a sadist. Yeah, a sadist. Um, and and they, they have three different types, just like there's visionary and missionary. There are um, three different types of hedonists. Uh, and then there is a separate special category called power-seeking killers. So uh, the three types of hedonists are aiming for lust, thrill, and gain. And they're, they're pretty self-explanatory. Lust killers derive sexual pleasure from it. Thrill killers get a kick, a kind of endorphin rush. Gain killers believe they will profit in some way. And these these are not exclusive categories, yeah. but people tend to fall more into one than the other. Like H.H. H. Holmes was making money from ripping people off in his murder mansion, but he was also clearly into killing people in a myriad of torturous ways. Uh, power killers want to play God be in charge of life or death. And many times um, this would be the case of, you know, the the nurses who are discovered to have been slowly poisoning patients over decades and in the past were very hard to catch. Then you get into classifications of serial killers uh, by their organizational skills and their social skills, which feels, again, it all feels so strange trying to organize these people into groups, but it, it makes a lot of sense when you're hunting serial killers, mm-hmm. right, as law enforcement. Um, so they can either be organized or distor- disorganized, and that's when you look at the type of crime scene, uh, how it's set up. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you've got non-social or asocial. Uh, this is going to depend on whether or not they exclude themselves from society mm-hmm. or whether a society excludes them. 
And then uh, the majority of identified serial killers are organized and non-social. So they don't want to hang. Yeah. But they do have a plan. They do have a plan and they like things to be a very specific way. And here's some silver lining, which is going to be we actively went through when, when the three of us were working on this episode and tried to find silver linings, ladies and gentlemen. So one of our first silver linings is that serial killers are far, far less common uh, than the media and culture might have you believe. The FBI and other experts estimate that at any given time, there are anywhere from 50 to, well, 300 active serial killers in the U.S. Stuff to prove those numbers for certain. And there's one thing for sure. One of the only things that we know. They're out there somewhere. Beneath the pale moonlight. Dancing. Or sometimes just picking up the mail from the post. Yeah, don't trust people to go to their mailboxes at night. That should be archery ad. Very true. And guess what? We're going to tell you all about it right after a quick word from our sponsor. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human-moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Here's where it gets crazy. At the top of the show, we rambled off several different serial killers that remain uncaught, hanging out somewhere. Maybe they died. Maybe we'll just never find them. But guess what? Hmm. There are quite a few more. And they remain uncaught today, or at least their crimes remain unsolved. So, so many of these people out there. We can't cover them all in a single episode. We're probably going to do a third one of these uh, at some point. Or maybe a separate show just about crime and serial killers. Oh, that would be good. Or just a specific show on each one. 
This doesn't mean that these murderers are necessarily anonymous. In several cases, investigators are convinced that they have discovered the identity of a given killer but did not have sufficient evidence to make an official or clean conviction. And that's, that's what happens when you're on the side of the, technically speaking, the good guys. You have to obey rules that the others do not have to obey. And in other cases, a string of murders by an unidentified killer may actually be the work of another known murderer. And here's where we get to our first example of serial killers that remain on the loose. Part two. So first we're going to talk about a killer by the name of Bible John. Which I've got to say is a pretty powerful name. It sounds like a villain in Preacher or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Bible John is believed to have murdered three young women after meeting them at the Barrowland Ballroom in Glasgow, Scotland, uh, between 1968 and 1969. Uh, there was very little doubt that these murders were all carried out by the same person. All three victims were women. They'd all been strangled, specifically with their pantyhose or their nylons, mm-hmm. uh, and they were all beaten to death. And the name Bible John is derived from the single suspect in the case. The last victim shared a taxi with her sister, and a man who said his name was John was quoting from the Bible at them. But yeah. because this technically remains unsolved doesn't mean there are suspects, right? Several experts believe the Bible John murders were in fact committed by a known and convicted serial killer with the uh, much less intriguing name Peter Tobin. So Tobin um, is a convicted Scottish serial killer and sex offender who, as we speak, is serving three life sentences um, with what they call over there a whole life order, which is basically like life without the possibility of parole at HM Prison Edinburgh for three murders committed between 1991 and 2006. With a very similar MO and a, a whole life order, you know, sounds like a weird sign on for a series, but it is – it is something that this government will do to prevent someone from leaving the the prison system in Europe in east or in Western Europe at least by and large is much more centered on rehabilitation uh, rather than you know retribution or using uh, prisoners as cheap labor sure it's the main thing in the u s right yeah. so uh, this this guy uh-huh super messed up. He targeted women who were menstruating, young women who he would found who he found at this ballroom, mm-hmm. and he would. This is the kind of thing we were talking about, where a serial killer can charm you, where he would meet you, meet these women at the bar, and then essentially go home with them, or you know, go off with them to have a private moment or something, and then he would turn. You know, sounds like this guy is the very definition of a missionary serial killer. He was targeting menstruating women. It's like he was singling them out for what he interpreted to be some sort of uncleanliness, uncleanliness mm-hmm. or impurity, I suppose, and then you know wanted to call them from the population. Yeah, it's a possibility when you when you get in some of the the rules and laws that you can find in books of the Bible, like Leviticus or something. If you mm-hmm. take those too seriously, you can get into some dangerous belief and thought territory there. Um, oh, and another thing he took the handbags of these women. Right. He would like dump all the stuff out of the handbag and then, well, who knows if he actually took it or if he hid it or got rid of it or something. Fetishes and relics and trophies are very common in a lot of serial killer cases. 
luckily he only got the three, but you could imagine, you know, gone unchecked for a long enough time, you might have found his den and there'd just be like a pile of handbags. In a yeah, room. and if and there may well be. And if this if Bible John is the same person as Peter Tobin, what's morbidly fascinating here is that we may be able to trace the evolution, the increasing sophistication of a serial killer. Mm. Sort of uh, similar to the Red Dragon cases uh, mentioned in the uh, Hannibal Lecter series. This brings us – so technically, just to sum it up, technically Bible John remains unconvicted or unapprehended. Mm -hmm. But a growing number of investigators are convinced that this is actually Peter Tobin. You just can't prove it. Right, because in the 1960s, there was nowhere near the level of – technological sophistication when it came to investigating DNA, preserving bodies, etc. But this is not the only example. Yeah, next we've got the Oakland County Child Killer, a.k.a. Sorry to chuckle, it's just this is kind of funny. It's like a, like a villain on the tick or something. Mm. The babysitter. That just makes me shiver, and I shiver rarely. Yeah, I know. See, I, I, I guess, again, I'm doing that thing where I'm getting light with it because if you don't, then it's like it's almost too much to handle. Yeah, but it's yeah. a defense mechanism. Sure, it's pretty, sure. pretty cruel. Um, so the babysitter um, – concerns serial killer, a serial killer or killers active in Oakland County, Michigan for 13 months between February 1976 and March 1977. Yeah. And this person or group is responsible for the murder of four children, two boys and two girls between the ages of 10 and 12. So particularly grisly um, Mm -hmm. and the victims were held captive between four and 19 days before all of them were slain, their bodies were always found wearing the same clothes in which they were last seen, all, uh, quote, neatly laid out on the ground in various locations around this place in Michigan, Oakland County. Mm-hmm. Um, and the babysitter moniker comes from uh, this process of cleaning the bodies mm-hmm. after they were finished with whatever they were doing with them. Mm-hmm. Um and it's thought that it was post-mortem, that they were cleaned, like fingernails clipped and everything. Right. I bet there was no evidence of sexual assault. There was – oh, man, I hate even talking about this. Don't don't listen to this if you're a kid. Um, there was tearing uh, specifically on the boys. Uh, so, yeah, so this was a process killer, it sounds like. It just, the only reason I, say, I said that was because it makes me think of like – Things I've seen in crime shows where a lot of times the killers, when they when they lay the body out with such care and precision, they're almost like, you know, trying to honor the the the, the body in some like weird way, deifying it. Yeah. it. So I'm wondering, but it, but I guess there was sexual motive, huh? There appears to be, and when you start looking at the suspects, well, again, these are suspects that. As the internet has grown and mm-hmm. there's more and more information out there mm-hmm. and people can become a sleuth online, a lot of this stuff has come to light. And also from the parents of some of the victims. So what – what are uh, can you tell us a little bit about the suspects? Sure. So one of them uh, is Christopher Bush. That this is this guy's name. Uh, he was the son of a gentleman named Harold Lee Bush. Uh-huh who at the time was the executive financial director of General Motors. It's a very well-to-do suspect. Yeah, a family of well-to-do people. Um, let's see, at the time, there was this place called Brother Paul's Children's Mission, which was located on Fo- North Fox Island in Lake Michigan. 
So I don't want to get too much into the geography, but sure. if if you're looking at a picture of Michigan and you're just looking at the the north northern, northern tip of it, if you go a little bit to the west, that's where North and South Fox Islands are. And this was a front for an underground child porn network where all the terrible things that happened to children within one of those, they were occurring on this island. And there was an investigation into this this ring of people who were making child pornography. Mm-hmm. And this guy, Christopher Bush, was caught up in it. They confiscated eight rolls of film from this guy. How old was he? He was 25 at the time. So young enough to be very active. Yes. Uh, but then, you know, he ends up getting arrested again for some more criminal sexual conduct involving children with some with some other dude named Gregory Green. But where it gets a little crazy here is that Gregory Green ended up uh, being held on a seventy five thousand dollar bond. But this guy, Christopher, he got off. Every, he didn't get out completely, but he got away with a one thousand dollar bond. And, you know, you imagine having sure. powerful, rich family. Maybe that helped out there. So he was arrested in February of 77, but the murders continued till March. Yes. And there was a sheriff, like a nearby sheriff department. They got a phone call that this guy was seen by just a neighbor or something at a a cottage, I guess, that the family owned that was quite a bit north of where the family's main house was. Mm-hmm. And this person knew that this guy Bush was not supposed to be around minors, around kids. And he was apparently hanging out at this cottage with them. And this was on March 19th. And here's the thing. The final victim, Timothy King, went missing from March 16th until March 22nd when his body was found. And what happened to Christopher Bush? Well, Ben, uh, according to his death certificate, this guy died by committing suicide on November 20th, 1978, when he was 27 years old. So just about a year after these killings had stopped, these four killings. And I don't know, it's not weird, I guess, but his body was cremated and the house where he lived with his parents was then sold off very soon after. You can understand why survivors would want to forget that memory. Yes, even just from the previous, you know, times, the things he had gotten in trouble for, right? Even if he wasn't the killer of these children. And he's not the only suspect. No, next we have Francis D. Sheldon, who was a well-known multimillionaire, actually, from an immensely wealthy family who uh, were the sole owners of North Fox Island. Got remember that island? Pretty pretty high up on the hog if you own an island. No, I do not remember This that is either. the island that had Brother Paul's children's mission on it that was a front for a child porn ring. Oh, my gosh. Interesting. Yikes. Sheldon fled the country to the Netherlands to avoid charges of sexual misconduct. Uh, two adolescent boys from Port Huron told family members that Francis Sheldon had molested and photographed them on this island. Uh, evidence taken from child porn magazines showed children with a background identified as being that in same place. North Fox Island, right? Verifying that the boys had been to the island. And there were reports of Sheldon's death that surfaced in 1996, um, and a Michigan warrant for him was canceled in May of 1997, with state police reporting, quote, exceptional clearance, suspect is dead and cannot be prosecuted, but was obviously involved. Right? I mean, that's, you're starting to see a picture here of perhaps a group of people who were, you know, 
doing terrible things to children on an island and then possibly killing them. Afterwards. Which is pedophile rings are unfortunately often dismissed as crackpot conspiracy theories, but there is hard evidence that they have existed. Mm -hmm. uh, one needn't look no further than Jimmy Seville and wonder which of his current living friends will be posthumously exposed as yet another monster. Yeah. Just a side note. And uh, most importantly, this ties into a future episode. No spoilers. Uh, there are people who are concerned that Sheldon and some of his associates did not actually die, but that they switched identities. And we will have an upcoming episode that looks at how possible, plausible, or impossible, implausible it is to fake one's death. It's going to be fascinating. I can't wait for you to hear it. Over the years, several lawsuits have been filed against the Oakland County Prosecutor's Office by the victims' families. Most of these come from a guy named Barry King, the father of Timothy King, and deal with uh, what are called Freedom of Information Act or FOIA requests uh, because he feels like he has been denied the information regarding the Timothy King case specifically by law enforcement. Yeah, pertaining to the suspects that we outlined there. And just a side note, this, if you want to learn more about this, I would caution you away from it just because it is a dark, dark place to go. But if you do want to, um, there are places you can find information. Uh, Catherine Broad, who's one of the sisters of the victims, uh, Timothy King was her brother. She's got a website, Catherine Broad, B-R-O-A-D dot blog. Uh, there's a documentary called Decades of Deceit that was produced by the King family, and there's a Reddit user named OCCK Throwaway that made these four really long, in-depth posts where you can – there are links galore there, and you can just follow the rabbit hole to your own insanity. And speaking of insanity and rabbit holes, let's continue a bit further. Uh, Noel, I believe you will like this moniker, the Freeway Phantom. Mm. You know, Spooky. it's a shame that it went to such a monstrous person because I would love to, you know, have a friend known as the Freeway Phantom because they were good at uh, smuggling cores like in Smokey and the Bandit or something. Yeah, or they ghost rode the whip like to perfection. <laughs> I'm more into the Funky Phantom. Oh. You know, there could be a whole Phantom squad, a Phantom cadre. Well, here's what happened in this case. An unidentified assailant abducted, sexually assaulted, and strangled six uh, female youths in Washington, D.C. from April of 71 through September of 72. The victims were all African-American girls. They were all between the ages of 10 and 18. The Phantom left handwritten notes, too. And statements from victims uh, before their deaths heavily imply the killer was a white male. And it was very, very hard to track this. In these cases, allegations of police uh, not putting in enough effort mm -hmm. repeatedly surfaced. We saw some similar things like this with the uh, Atlanta uh, strangulations, yep. the child murders. Uh, it seems racially motivated, possibly. Right. For which uh, in Atlanta, Wayne Williams is currently incarcerated. So this is a case where investigators feel like they had the person. They traced – this is very grisly stuff. They they started looking at people who would have similar MOs, right? Mm -hmm. That's the first thing you do. Has Is there any legal is, – is there anybody in the legal system that has been proven to already 
have either the wherewithal mm-hmm. or the motivation to commit these sorts of horrendous acts. And they immediately gravitated toward members of a group called the Green Vega Game. Law enforcement officials involved with the case believe that four men who were involved in hundreds, hundreds of rapes from 1969 to 1973 were implicated in the child murders, but they weren't convicted. And as he said, they were collectively, just four guys collectively responsible for these crimes in D.C. and in Maryland, and they were also involved in abductions. So the police individually interview these gang members and then they visit a prison in Lorton, Virginia, where the gang members were serving sentences um, due to unrelated convictions. Right. During the interviews, this is weird. One gang member initially implicated another member and said, well, this guy said he did it. And here's how he told me he did it. And the thing is, uh, both inmates were serving time at this same prison and the one who was giving the info said, well, I'll tell you the whole story, but only if I remain anonymous. So he identified the inmate who told him the story, the time and the location of the crime and certain specific details, which were not provided to the public, but which were known only as far as the cops could figure out to the detectives and to the freeway phantom. So the information checked out. So they yeah. found their guy, right? The guy that this one person they interviewed pointed a finger at, right? Yeah, but that's that's like um, it's not quite a smoking gun. Yeah, but that is very close to a smoking gun. Where, you know, if if um, just the investigators and then right one guy knows because there's no you can't really count on somebody wild guessing specific sure, details. Sure. Here's the problem, though. Here's why he's still on the list. Because they had amassed all this evidence, and they were ready to move, but then something happened. The case files were lost, as in, like, everything. Gone. Poof. Poof. Goodbye. Kaiser Sosies. How does that even happen? Isn't that somebody? Insane? Somebody was inside, right? Is this, this is in the 70s? That's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know. Still all paper. All paper. So, I mean, they, you know, I'm, I'm sure they have duplicates. On some level, but it wouldn't be that much of a stretch to have them find their way into a fire of some yeah. sort. But it sounds like intentional to me, Is I guess is what I'm getting at, you know? Mm-hmm. Because like all of the files, you yeah. know, especially when you consider how much paperwork they had to generate in the course of this kind of investigation, people with, you know, stacks and stacks of rap sheets alone, unrelated, and they all know each other. And they're like children. So, of course, the community to this day doesn't buy that. This gets me yeah. starting to think about serial killer cults. Yeah. 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 Me as well. I don't want to think about that, you guys. More nightmare stuff for me. Well, if they exist, they don't want you to think about it either. Come on, Aww. man. Nightmares are good for you. They put hair on your chest. No, they don't. Your smooth, smooth, baby-like chest. I don't want them to put pee-pee in my bed. Because then I might be a serial killer. Yeah, so that's that's what happened with that one. Mm-hmm. What do we have next? Can I say this one? Because I just love saying it. Yeah, yeah, yes. give it a shot. Uh, the Maniac of Novosibirsk. The Maniac of Novosibirsk. So this is, uh, this is an interesting case. This is more recent. Uh, there were 17 women murdered between 1998 and 2006. Very specific MO 
in a town in Russia called Anovsbirsk. The victims were found on the outskirts of town. They were mutilated, decapitated, dismembered. Symbols were carved into their bodies, and in every case, their hearts were removed. Often, this disfigurement was so extreme that law enforcement could not identify the body. Dang. Which means fingerprints gone, dental, any any, uh, teeth probably knocked out. Man. Tattoos scraped off the skin. Okay. They had a few things in common. They were all women, they were all locals, and they were all prostitutes. In 2006, for some reason, the killings just stopped. And that is something that's extraordinarily rare. In the case of the babysitter, you know, we saw a very short 13-month period, right, yeah. with four known victims. But that uh, that leads us to believe that if circumstances hadn't changed, those killings would have continued so it's very strange for this stuff to stop the murderer disappeared and this led police to believe something that there are usually three common things that happen three common explanations when a serial killer or a series of murders stops occurring and the police will always assume well the killers may be moved mm-hmm. or they've died or arrested or have been arrested on another crime right yep. and in this case they still continued to hunt for the killer, and they found really interesting series of suspects. Um, in 2015, the police arrested a, a cab driver by the name of Alexei Ivanov on suspicion of the murders. Um, he instead confessed to a series of unrelated murders. So, also all women. Yeah. Guess, uh, I mean, I guess where there's smoke, there's fire. So what we're saying here is that apparently Novus Birsk is a, is a pretty, pretty tough neighborhood. I know. Can you imagine that? You're searching for one serial killer, which is already so rare. And in the process, you pick up another guy. It's like, well, yeah, I killed. I of course I I killed a series of people. Oh, not not those. Not those though. Those aren't those aren't mine. It's probably like one of those small towns in like British cop shows where there's a serial murderer like a week. You know? Yeah. Oh right. Yeah, that's the weirdest thing about suspension and disbelief in right. those shows. Yeah. You know, it's a small town. Everybody still leaves their doors unlocked, mm. despite the fact that. About once every year or so, yeah. someone kills 20 people. Not only that, like, you can even go further where it's like with Scooby-Doo. Like, are they traveling around in that show? I mean, I guess they are. They're kind of on tour, right? Are they right. a band? It's not clear what they do. They they're, don't they're a spend gang. a whole lot of time on the mythology. No. Gotta no. admit, it's been a while for me. Yeah, at least with Jabberjaw, like, they were definitely a band. You know, Jabberjaw was totally, like, a one-to-one of Scooby-Doo. Oh, they, yeah, they, yeah. they solved that they had, like, they had the talking animal mm-hmm. with a speech impediment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even, like, I think Dude wore an ascot in, in Jabberjaw, too. Oh. Anyway, we digress. Back to the grizzly stuff. You see what I'm trying? I'm trying to de- I'm trying to derail this a little bit because this is just so darn upsetting, but we will sally forth. There was um, a different suspect. Yeah, so there was, in fact, another suspect. In 2016... Police arrested a former cop by the name of Evangeli Chupliskniksky. Forgive my utter garbage pronunciation there. I'm doing the best I can. Um, this individual uh, was suspected of the murders, though he had yet to be convicted. Um, and here's a little interesting twisty side note. I'm not going to say his name again. Tell you that right now. Chupliskniksky. We're going to call him Mr. T. Mr. T. 
Not to be confused with the Mr. T. This is the Russian Mr. T for the purposes of our show. Mr. T was arrested by Russia's Ministry of Internal Affairs, which I guess means that he was under investigation as a dirty cop. Potentially, um, not local law enforcement, right? So yeah. that's, I think that's the thing. So the Cleaning trial. Up laundry internally, right? Exactly, right. exactly. Right. Uh, but on a uh, federal level. On a federal level, exactly. So the trial, um, is in fact moving forward. And while the ministry is almost certain that this is their guy, um, he is yet to be convicted, even though DNA was found on some of the prostitutes, which he explains as a result of him spending a lot of time with prostitutes. While on duty, yeah. One of the one of the uh, the way he explained it is, um, you know, I have to have my ear to street. You know, I have to know who is going where, who is driving drunk. I go find drunk driver. Maybe he gives me a bribe, skip some paperwork. Mm. So he painted it as sort of his unofficial job duties, right? Yeah. Deep deep cover, as it were. Apparently, right. And then at one point he confessed, and he and he said that he did the symbols on purpose. And this was actually, in a, in a brutal calculation, this was actually pretty smart on his behalf because if he was a police officer, he knew how to hide evidence, or he should have, um, and he wanted the murders to look occult or satanic in nature. And he said he wanted to you know, have a red herring for the police. But then later, he recanted, and he said, no, I did that under pressure. If Evgeny Chuplinsky or Mr. T is convicted, he will be another example of a killer who appeared to get away only to be captured months, years, or even decades later. And this lets us end on a little bit less of a bleak note because these sorts of killers, well, they may get away for a long time, are often apprehended one way or another. And we'll tell you about just a few after a word from our sponsor. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. Five to six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real, live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. 
I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. Oh, my friends love it. I love that it's KidSafe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. And we're back. You know, on a side note, just to keep it light, which I think is a good move, um, one thing that always got to me about Scooby-Doo is how it so rarely turned out to be supernatural. It always bothered me. It well, like, no, I mean, in the original series, it was never supernatural. Yeah. It was always some old man. It was always man, old man, old man Billy Miller Bob from the Haunted Amusement Park mm-hmm. or whatever. It wasn't until, like, the 21 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo with Vincent Price where it was there were definitely ghosts in that one. There were other iterations of the show where there were supernatural elements. But the original series, and, and you'd think they'd eventually catch on and stop getting spooked. No, knowing because no. well, they wanted or, to believe or at least start discriminating against or profiling old, old guys, old white guys. You know what I mean? There's sometimes women. Maybe it was a cautionary tale uh, for, you know, old white guys for kids. Mm. Speaking of older white guys, what's and vans and yeah. vans. Yeah. Although I would still drive a custom van like that. I don't mm. care about the mileage. I did. I want one with a wizard on it. I want one that's decked out like a studio apartment, you know, yeah. but with windows so people don't think I'm a serial killer. I want a torture rack in mine. You want a torture rack? Mm-hmm. Dude, we should make a con- convoy. Sorry, that was, I took taking it light a step too far. <laughs> that's what happens when keeping it light goes awry. <laughs> uh, so here's someone who, uh, things went awry for this character. If you read about serial killers, then you probably read a few years back about a killer known as BTK, which stands for Bind, Torture, Kill. This is a self-appointed nickname. Uh, this person was actually named Dennis Radar, and from 1974 to 1991, well, from 1974 to 1979, he had killed 10 people in total, collected items, totems, fetishes, relics, trophies, I guess is the best way to say it, mm-hmm. uh, from each murder scene, and he wrote numerous letters taunting the police, but then he underwent a dormant period. And here's the weirdest part on Dennis Dennis's radar's career as a serial killer. If he had not been drawn back by apparently fame and ego, yeah. then he would have been fine, and he would have continued working at uh, the, the church that he worked at, and he Didn't he work at a vet or something? Too? Or a veterinarian's office, yeah. yeah. Uh, and just eventually make a deathbed confession or be something his family would do, find all this stuff after his death. But he could not resist writing another series of taunting letters about how he fully planned to commit another murder in 2004. Because he was inept, he sent correspondence that was easy to trace. Uh, he actually at one point asked law enforcement if it was possible for them to trace him based on, you know, sending uh, a, a like a 3.5 disc. Yeah. You know, uh, everybody who's younger in the crowd. Um, if you look at the save button on your uh, Microsoft Word, that's an image of those 3.5 discs. It is. Which I think people will forget over time. But 
they said, uh, yeah, there's no way we can do that. And they totally did. And they found the address and there was a matter of time before we found him. He didn't fit a lot of the supposed profiles of serial killers. That's why you can't find them. Mm-hmm. He was just so a family like, man. He was a family man uh, who had a lot of internal issues, but he is locked up. He's under the jail. This is not the UK. They don't require a whole life order. He is going to die in jail. And then there were other people like uh, the Grim Sleeper, uh, Lonnie David Franklin Jr., believed to be responsible for at least 10 murders and an attempted murder in Los Angeles. That sounds like a wrestling name. The Grim Sleeper. Mm. It really does. It really does. Like he teams up with the Undertaker or something and he has a special hold. Yeah. That's his like signature sleeper hold. And now we can, now we can say stuff like that because he is also apprehended. He is also never getting out of jail. The point we're making is that these killers do get caught. This is not a bleak, hopeless story in many cases. And with just the cases we've looked at now, it provides us with more questions than it does answers, right? So what happens to these folks, the unapprehended ones, both from part one and part two? Well, we know that some of them are just taken out because they're arrested for something else and they're sitting in a prison cell somewhere doing time for burglary or, you know, whatever other smaller crime they committed, or even maybe a single murder or something. We also know that with technology advancing the way it is for forensic science, it's more difficult for these guys to hide somewhere and mm-hmm. do what the BTK killer did and just live with a family somewhere else in the right. world. Uh, eventually, if you messed up one time, committing a murder or one of these horrible acts, you will probably get caught. And, uh, and you know, a lot of these people, because several of the things we talked about were in the 60s and 70s, uh, a lot of them have died and will probably never be caught. That's possible, yeah. What about Zodiac? you think he's still out there? If Zodiac is still out there, then Zodiac is... He is infirmed. Is, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Then he might not even know who the killer is. At this point, because that's interesting to think about. Yeah, it's a scary thing. A lot of what you're talking about reminds me of this show, The Keepers on Netflix. If you haven't seen it Mm -hmm. and you like true crime, it's worth your time. Is it a documentary or it it is a documentary? documentary. Yeah. You know, this this concept raises an interesting, disturbing is a better word, a disturbing question. If someone's like that is discovered, is it prosecuting the same person? Oh, you know? someone with dementia that doesn't even know anymore? Some Like, let's say someone was convicted, ironclad, we know they did it, of several murders in the 1960s, but now they're in their late 80s and they're late Well, it, it, it's sad to say, but that, that reminds me of what's going on with Bill Cosby. You know, I'm not I'm not a, a doctor, I can't diagnose the man, but when you, right before all this came out and he was on some late night shows, he did show signs of not being fully... Yeah. There mentally, mm. and you get the sense that he doesn't entirely comprehend what's going on with all of the accusations. Oh, wow, and stuff. he doesn't. I, I don't know. I mean, it is, he, he just having witnessed dementia firsthand. Mm-hmm. I remember when I saw him on early on before all this came out. Um, he was on one of the late shows, and it was just kind of a little bit sad because he just did not seem like he quite understood what was going on and wow. he wasn't like him, himself. So I'm I'm wondering if that's a similar situation where anyone who gets justice, mm-hmm. it's not going to be as 
satisfying perhaps because the person who did the crimes maybe is not aware that yeah yeah what they've done anymore you get into those philosophical areas where is punishing the body of the thing the person that did these things worth it even if it can't comprehend well i would also say you know one of the one of the at the very least equally crucial factors here is closure yes absolutely what happened right and speaking of closure we do have conclusions so yes unapprehended serial killers are out there according to fbi estimates 50 to 300 in the u.s alone right now right now uh that's a hell of a margin but that also goes into you know the definitions of a serial killer is the famous hitman hitman the iceman Mm -hmm. that qualifies a serial killer because it was his profession right where do we draw the line luckily these sorts of killers, despite the, the wild estimates, the hyperbole, sensationalism, are extremely rare. But there are real-life monsters, and in the vast majority of cases, you will not know if you walk by one on the street. You might have, you know, it's a very real thing that people report. People believe in hunches, right, intuitions, uh, spider senses. But even that, even that is not, not proven to uh to work because then we would just have people who are detecting these human monsters yeah reddit would be amazing at it yeah and 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 we got to be fair to the jerks of the world just being a jerk doesn't mean that someone is a murderer or a danger to society we cannot stress how important that is however if you do know of or if you do know of someone that you suspect might be actively doing something you can and should report those suspicions. And this, you know, this is something that, um, that sounds very televised, right? It sounds like the script for some, some true crime drama, right? Some law and order type thing. But what would you do? What would you do if your neighbor, who was not an unpleasant person, one day uh, went on vacation quote unquote, and then you saw uh, his car and it was suspicious activity. And then you read about people disappearing, you know? Yeah, I know. I've been afraid to say anything. <laughs> right. I told you I'm going to move. Okay. Just be cool. All right. Uh, but the, uh, the jokes aside, ladies and gentlemen, the, the, the truth of the matter is that there's a very thin line between paranoia and actual evidence and reporting it. Because we've all we've all seen this before when there is an active high profile serial killer, like in that movie, uh, what was it, Summer of Sam about Sam Berkowitz um, in that in that film. One of the things that happened was that law enforcement and just like in Zodiac cases was inundated with false reports. Some mm-hmm. people just wanted attention. So it's tough. But it is true that with all the personal data being shared between uh, whomever you pay your phone bill to. Wherever you get your driver's license, wherever you pay your taxes, and every what when whatever social media you oh, you yeah. use, it seems more and more likely that previous un, previously unidentified serial killers could eventually become a thing of the past. These aren't pioneer days where you could just go through the territories killing as you pleased. However, we can't forget that in some cases these killers function in positions of power, and they are able to influence the mechanisms meant to apprehend them, like. Uh, like the police officer that Noel mentioned. Yeah, that that is a huge point here, that 
terrifies me, <laughs> especially when there are multiple people in power that are working together. And one thing that, yeah, one thing that startles me too is how often a string of serial murders might not get reported outside of local news. Mm-hmm. And is that cooperation or is that just police with the best of intentions trying to prevent panic? Yeah, and something just isn't newsworthy enough to be run on a, you know, from another major source. And how do you decide that? And does it go down to the name? Did you guys see that uh, they're remaking Maniac Cop? What is that? You ever seen Maniac Cop? It's like a like a franchise from the 80s where the murderer is a cop. Mm. He's, he's the Maniac Cop. Is he like a vigilante or a no? Villain? No, no. He's just a he's a maniac. Yeah, oh, wow. he's a he's a unhinged lunatic um, with some Jason Voorhees esque uh, supernatural abilities. But uh-huh. Nicholas Winding Refn, who did uh, the much maligned Neon Demon, which I quite enjoyed, and uh, Drive, and um, you know Valhalla Rising and Bronson mm-hmm. and all that. He's he seems to be going down the schlocky road a little further these days, and this Ooh. is. Definitely no exception. So I'm looking forward to that. You guys want to do some shout outs? I think it's time. Shout out corners. Our first shout out goes out to Shannon, who says, hey, guys, on the topic of UFOs, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe you've covered the Cash Landrum incident. I only just heard about it myself today, and I think you'd find it fascinating. Well, thank you so much, Shannon. I have never heard of this. Ben, have you heard of this? Uh, yeah, yeah. This is one of the only uh, UFO – well, this is one of very few UFO cases that actually resulted in uh, litigation. Ooh. In the 1980s in the U.S., people insisted that they not only saw something, multiple witnesses, but that it damaged their health. What? Mm-hmm. Where so, was this? So this occurred in Dayton, Texas. I think that's a – I think that's a really interesting – uh, topic for us to delve into for sure because we do have a pretty solid um solid solid mass of court cases so thank you so much for writing in shannon that's an excellent suggestion mm-hmm. who's next well next we have a shout out for kiara says hey matt and ben and noel actually noel's not on here but that's okay i don't hold it against you kiara who hails from Texas. Um, she says, I am writing this to bring to your attention the recent computer attack uh, nicknamed ransomware. I think it was actually called WannaCry, and mm-hmm. ransomware is the type of uh, attack type of virus, that it is, yeah, yeah, where it holds your data hostage and you have to pay out in Bitcoin in order to get it back. Um, anyway, uh, as it is sufficiently frightening and seems to have come out of absolutely nowhere, there's no doubt that you've already caught wind of it, but I think it couldn't hurt to provide you a request. The new ransomware virus, essentially what I would call an evil blue screen computer malware virus that's been crippling average computer users but particularly companies and corporations by overtaking computer systems and blocking users access to their files and search engines essentially acting in the way a blue screen would rendering the computer useless um, being impassable unless the victim of the virus pays 300 bitcoins to remove it the equivalent of around $736,000 American wow. dollars. So a little explanation. The uh, everyday blue screen, informally referred to as the blue screen of death, is a protection fault initiated by Windows in the case that the operating system collapses. Um, what the virus does essentially mimics that function with one key difference. It seizes access to every file and every computer function until the ransom is paid. Yikes. Uh, the current theory is that at least one of the perpetrators behind this is a former Windows employee. And I know that Windows 
Windows actually patched this. Right. Uh, they caught it pretty mm-hmm. early, and so a lot of people were spared it, uh, but it definitely did wreak some havoc. Um, she says she's anxious to hear what we have to say about it, and uh, would also like to give condolences to all the hospitals, colleges, businesses, banks, railway systems, and absolutely everyone who is a victim of this virus in any way. It can't be easy. Uh, agreed. That's uh, absolutely pretty yeah. brutal. One really interesting thing here to me is that if you're going to be paid in bitcoins for a ransomware like this, mm-hmm. even though it's a cryptocurrency and it's protected in a lot of ways, it is trackable. So at any point, like they know, uh, investigators know exactly what accounts the bitcoins will be paid to and they mm-hmm. can monitor them in real time. Mm-hmm. And as soon as someone tries to take those bitcoins out and transfer them into cash in some way or some usable form of currency, you're going to know exactly where it went. So I don't, I don't know the I don't understand the logic behind it, but maybe there's a there's like a key there that I'm missing. Well, I mean, maybe there's some sort of like VPN esque way of redirecting, you know, the the digital trail. Or maybe there is a yeah, there's a secrecy parameter. I I, I think Kara, uh, I think your concept of this being to some degree an inside job, and in that the perpetrator may have used something they learned internally to wreak this havoc. I think that's fascinating. I'd like to delve into it. I'm also tempted to agree uh, that there would be, there would have to be a way for the money to be laundered somehow. Uh, otherwise, no one would ask for that currency. And a cryptocurrency has several advantages over more orthodox or established forms of currency. So that'd be a good one to dive into. And, uh, you know, I think it, it speaks very highly to Kiara's character that she took the time to give her condolences to the organizations and individuals affected by this. Sure. So thank you for writing in. Our final shout out of the day comes from Trent and Trent says, hello, guys. A top- oh, this was uh, I thought this was a pretty interesting one. He didn't say that. That's me. saying <laughs> that. Uh, hello, guys. A topic I thought of when recently listening to your podcast on the placebo effect. It was stated in the podcast that a uh, severe burn victim would not benefit from a placebo. I would have to disagree. I've heard all my life of the power of someone talking the fire out of a burn. Manly used this as a pain relief. It is a secret that can only be passed from man to woman or woman to man. The two cannot be blood related. Check out info into the Foxfire books. I was told that my great-grandfather was able to save a child at a hospital that had been burned over a large part of his body. This may not be a placebo in the original context, but it is a case of how powerful the mind can be. Good luck. Wow. So from a, you know, as an armchair folklorist, this is fascinating. The idea of talking the fire out of a burn. I read a lot, maybe too much, and I have not read about this. Uh, There is a Foxfire folklore uh, series, and perhaps it is mentioned in there, in which case I'm going to return to it. Um, Thank you so much, Trent. These are all excellent suggestions, and we Mm -hmm. appreciate your time. So thanks to Kiara, Shannon, and Trent. And this concludes our... And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode... You can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. 
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN.